0: Welcome to My Life, Hasidus Applied, episode 465. This program is in loving memory of Miriam Basilio Alteis, Allah ha upon her passing on the 11th of Menachem Ov. It is also in schus and merit of Boruch bin Yomin ben Menuchelana Alteis, Yukusil ben Lehi Rochel, and Rochel Bas Liba Farkash, dedicated by Pinchas Todis ben Miriam and Sara Bas Rochel Alteis. Tonight is Chayel, the 18th of El. The birthday, as the Rabbim call it, of the Shnei Me'edahs Hagdelim, the two great luminaries, We're both born on Wednesday, which was the creation of the Shnei Me'edahs Hagdelim, the sun and the moon, the Al-Tareb, the Balshem and the Al-Tareb. The Miyasid of Chayel, Chassidus HaKlolis, of General Chassidus, the Balshem and the same day, Chayel, the Alterebbe, the Miyazd of Teres Chesidis Chabad. The Baal was born the year Tov Nun Ches, corresponding to 1698. That would be 325 years ago. And the Alterebbe was born in the year Tov Kufhei Kohos, which was, corresponds to the year 1745, 278 years ago. The Baal I should mention Tov Nun Ches, the year Nachas. So Nachas and Kohos. So we celebrate a day, a day like this, especially in a program called Khsidis Applied, My Life Khsidis Applied. Obviously, paying tribute and honoring the Miyazdim, the founders of Khsidis. So let's talk about that, being that it's Mamish tonight, as well as its connection to the entire month of El, going into the new year, which is apropos. So what is the significance? What does this day teach us? So in general, a birthday, of course, as Mazole gave it, is when the neshama comes into this world of an individual. This is the beginning of that person's shlichus in this world. So obviously, we you're talking about great leaders and luminaries, B'al Shemtev and Al Terebe. So this is the beginning of each of their shlichus respectively. Baal would go on to become, as I said, the founder of Chassidus Kollel. So, really, the question is, what did Baal Shem Tov come to contribute? And you can say his birthday is the day when it was launched, when this neshama came to this world to achieve that. So, in general, we know from the Rabbeim that the Baal Shem Tov, whose name was Yisrael, came to awaken the Yisrael within each neshama. This was very strange times that the Jews were living then when you talk about those years, the end of the 17th century, big transitions were taking place. To put it in historical context, the world of the old Jewish world of the shtetl, really insulated, immunized in many ways, from the larger world, was ending. So on one hand, the Jewish world was very, very connected because they were not allowed to even assimilate, even if they wanted to. On the other hand... They were being opened up, the world was opening up to what we call the enlightenment, we call, we call it the um, emancipation of the Jews, where the Western world began to release and relax the their persecution, the overtaxation, taxation, the, the genocides, the expulsions that were taking place. And the Jewish world, as the entire world, was entering into the modern age, which would pose a whole new set of problems. So in the Jewish world, you really had a certain dichotomy going on. There was great scholarship. But the simpler Jew, who did not have the scholarship or that piety, was almost considered like second class. The Baal Shem Tov came to reawaken and show the neshama, the soul within every Jew, within everything in existence. That was the Baal Shem Tov came to teach. Today we could understand and appreciate it. The Magdim Raful Lamako because he came literally at the time where the Jewish world was splitting into two. On one hand, the modern new world was posing all kinds of new opportunities, also new challenges. So you had the the shita, the theory, that let's have the best of both worlds. Some even use the term a Jew in the house and a guy in the street. The problem is once you create that type of uh, dichotomy, that type of fragmentation, or compartmentalization would be the right word, Where do you draw the line? So you can say the modern world of what we would call assimilation began then, because once certain things were being compromised from a Taylor point of view, due to the new Western access of universities, of culture, things began to slide, unfortunately. So another school of thought was born, and that was, we'll call it the ultra-Orthodox, which was, let's create our own blinders, our own ghettos, Even though we're being accepted, more accepted in the non-Jewish world, the secular world, but at the same, or the Protestant world, if you wish, the Christian world, but we have to create our own boundaries. The problem with these both approaches was they both were not dealing with a key fundamental root of the issue, and that is can God, can Teda, can faith be bridged with modernity? Can God and Teda be bridged with the material world? So you either escape into the material world and try to maintain some of the Jewish inspiration and that doesn't work fully. Or the other extreme, that you reject that material world. When I say material world, obviously everyone has to eat and sleep, but I mean to say the benefits of a freer world. As a matter of fact, it was seen as a threat. And we know even the Altad episode as a threat in the war, the Franco-Russo war, where he supported Russia winning because... He knew France was offering material com- comforts and freedoms, but it was godless. So this battle is really not resolved. At the end of the day, interestingly, extreme secular, extreme assimilation, extreme, uh, you can call it extreme, extreme orthodoxy, both are suffering from one problem, which is the two can't come together. Comes the Baal Tev, And of course the Alter who elaborates on it even more based on the teachings of the Magid who is the student of the Baal Shem Tov and the teacher of the al Rebbe, that Hashem Echad, that classic statement that we say in Shema, is that Hashem, not just as one God, as one reality, that you can find God everywhere. And indeed, you see from the Tetus of the Baal Shem Tov was the idea of finding the divine within everything. This doesn't mean everything is allowed, but it means we don't have to see the world as a threat. To use a simple example, <laughs> modern example technology is technology a threat to Yiddishkeit to faith to Torah or is it created by God as well as an opportunity to use this like just like you use electricity just like you use other things to use it and harness it towards the divine and that was a challenge that the Jewish people had not faced up to that point in history so the Baal Shem Tov comes at a critical juncture in history, which was to introduce the Pnimis Attera that was always known, but now, Yefutsamaynasech Chuchutza, as Mashiach told the Baal Shem Tov, when will Mashiach come? When the Baal Shem Tov asked him, the Futsamaynasech when your wellsprings will spread outward. What's the connection? Because Mashiach is Venigla Kved Hashem Veroh Kol Mashiach is seeing the divine, experiencing the divine in everything we do. In the words of the Rambam, Loye Esa Kol that the entire business of the world will only be to know God. Or in the words of Yeshaya, as the Rambam concludes, a world filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. Or in the words of Tanya, beginning of Perik Lamed Zion, to make a as he explains in chapter 36 and 37. Nikla, to reveal the divine. To real, reveal the divine in existence, we need primis ha the nishmosa, the nishama of the teda, teaches us how to find the nishama in everything. Was this known before the Balsham Torah? Of course. But it wasn't the predominant focus necessarily. He didn't live, they lived, they lived, they did not necessarily have to focus on that. Some knew, the Yechideh Gula, and the rest did their Avedah, but Kabbalah sale. But here, to deal with the challenges of the world and also to deal with the class structures that there's Chachomim scholars and their simple Jews. Once you come to the Neshama, as the al Rebbe explains in chapter 32 in Tanya, then, and every person is, is is God's child and every one of us is absolutely necessary and everyone has a Neshama and we don't know whose Neshama is greatest. So the idea of Chassidus was essentially introducing soul, Neshama. Once you introduce Neshama, you can deal with the challenges. And that's what the tools that the Baal Shem Tov gave us. In distinguishing, what about the Alter Rebbe? So in general, the Fridic Rebbe and the Rabbim tell us that the Baal Shem Tov taught us how every Jew can connect and serve God. And the Alter Rebbe taught us how everyone can do so. They give an example of a ladder. The Baal Shem Tov provided us with a ladder to climb up and the Alter Rebbe taught us how to climb the ladder. That's in general terms the contributions. So when we're celebrating the birthday of these two great luminaries, we, we re-embrace and we, re, we renew our contract with the very contribution of the necessity of chassidus. And you see it today. You see it today. Yes, you can be a mechanical Jew and follow the guidelines and do it by rote. But if it's lacking the Sham, it's lacking passion. So number one, it can't compete with other things that people are passionate about, whether they're kosher or not kosher. Number two, it just doesn't have the vitality that's necessary for something to really be complete. And number 3 in fulfilling the purpose of existence. Not just to go through the motions. Purpose of existence, you need the neshama. So chayel, as the name chay represents, is Chayas, Vitality, energy. What's a, a, a body without a soul? God forbid it's a corpse, it doesn't have chayis. Chayel. So that's briefly, in a way, one of the contributions, one of the main contributions that we have and what this day teaches us to re-embrace and bring it down in action, to learn something from the Baal to learn something from the Al-Tarebbe, and then impl- implement it and bring it into, applied, this applied in our lives, of revealing the Shami in our lives through Aves through recognizing that everything we encounter has divine spark waiting for us to redeem it in the words of the famous story of the Baal of Tavit that the water was waiting from the beginning of time for you to come and make a blessing on it. Imagine looking at everything in existence, everything you encounter, that the world, that thing was waiting for you to come there to make a blessing, to do a misfit, to do a, <laughs> a good deed, say a kind word. And that prepares the world for Gilead Lukhuz of Nigla Khveid Hashem, of G'ula, Yifutsiman Esachachachutza, Osimar, Dom so it's a tremendously important day in that context. So the next question that we can ask is, so how does Chayel help us enter Rosh Hashanah with a proper kavanah so we can succeed when asking Hashem for a good year? So it's interesting that it comes right here in the last 12 days of the month of, uh, of the year, meaning the last 12 days of El Chayel, then 12 days of countdown. So there's the expression from the Rabeim that chayel gitarayin achayis in el. Achayis in anilu deidi dili, As we speak, a vitality. It also says that the next 12 days correspond to 12 days of the year. So every day is a cheshmer and an accounting we give for the month that corresponds to that day. So chayel corresponds to tishrei of last year in accounting and preparing us for tishrei of the next year. Yuta corresponds to Cheshven and so on till the end of the year. As we count down towards when the curtain comes down on Erev Rosh Hashanah. So Chael, in the context we just said is Neshama. So it's the Neshama also of El that El isn't again only a mechanical thing. It's a Neshama thing. It's looking inside our soul as uh, Al Rebbe says that shuva is not like Torah Salem. It's not like the mistake people make is only on a sin is the spirit, the neshama, returning to its very course, the neshama. So chayel is the neshmosa daraisa of primis ater of chassidus, of the bachshamtev and the rebbe that gives a neshama chayes in el and all the Veda of el. And in simple terms, it means this is the time of the year. We're preparing to begin a new chapter, a new year, new energy. And how will we in an excited way, in a, in a passionate way, embrace our mission as it's renewed on Rosh Hashanah. So yes, we have to look at the past and we have to look at the, the, the make an accounting and a and nefesh to make sure that we repair and correct anything. But the goal is to make improvements and to bring on the new year with new commitments and new excitement and new vitality, a new chayis, in the Avedah of Anila Dei 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 which encompasses in general Avedah, I am to my beloved to Hashem, my beloved to me, through Tera Avedig Milchhasadim chuvah Geula, and all that, all the mean, all the different categories, all alluded to in the acronym of Elul, Aleph Lamad Vav Lamad. So that's how it helps us enter Rosh Hashanah, and when you learn especially about Elul or about Rosh Hashanah. It helps us appreciate. I spoke in the previous weeks the idea of Yud Gimel Midas Harachmim, Basada, the king in the field. This is Chasidus. So Chayel, which is the Yemelethus of the Shnei Melechim, is basically helping us prepare for Rosh Hashanah. What happens on Rosh Hashanah? So we know technically it's the day of the collective birthday of the human race. We know it's a Yemadin. But when you learn from the Baal and the Al-Tarebbe, the meaning of it, you learn in Atim At Netzovim says the Baal goes on Rosh Hashanah, that we're standing together all united, as we read in this week's Pasha, the Pasha we always read before Rosh Hashanah, we stand united together in Achdus to accept the divine, divine mandate, the divine king, re-crowning the to as our authority and committing in every possible way to what we are committed to do as partners with Hashem in creation, this is how we prepare for Rosh Hashanah. And as the Alter explains as well, Rosh Hashanah is what, like, basically, on the words of the Arizal, in Geras HaKedah, Simeon Yudalat 14, the Alter says that on this day, a new energy enters in existence, one that was unprecedented, was never here before, never will be. So imagine a new energy, new opportunity. And when we, through our tefillahs and through Tkir Shafer and Rosh Hashanah, we access it and we draw it into our lives. So those are that's essentially how Chayel helps us enter into Rosh Hashanah. And the more you connect through the Chassidus, the more you connect to the Yom Tevim and the premise of it and what it really means in the collective birthday of discovering or reclaiming or revisiting our birthday, our individual and collective birthday, which is essentially the mission of our lives. So the birthday of the Baal Shem and the Altarebbe help us prepare for the birthday of all of us on Rosh Hashanah, the day Adam and Adam Achavah were created. Another person asks, what were some of the revolutionary ideas introduced by the Baal Shem Tov and the Altarebbe? Were they all his original ideas or were they based on teachings from earlier generations? So as it is always in Teda, it's a combination of both. We're told. Everything that a Talmud Vasik, especially a unique student, exemplary student, is machadish, innovates, was given to Marisha at Sinai. So is it a chiddush or was it given to Marisha at Sinai? The answer is that it's both. The chiddush is the person extracts it from there, he knows the right timing, when to do it. But there's no chiddush in the sense everything was given at Martin and Teir. Meshe may not have been consciously aware, as the Gemara tells us with Rabbi Akiva, a similar story. But that doesn't mean it wasn't given. It's like the Chlolim, it's like musical notes. Think of it, Lahav, the musical notes. Musical notes have every type of song that will ever be sung is with, or composed is from these notes. But nevertheless, it can be a new composition, a new, a new version, a new variation, and so on. So, like sometimes the expression is by Matan Terry, the kolim were given, the principles, and then we draw out those principles. So it's called the chiddush, and especially knowing the leader of the generation knows what is necessary in that particular time. So the chiddush is not just the the drawing out and revealing things that were not revealed up to that point, but also knowing the right timing, when it's necessary. The Bar came exactly when it was necessary, as did. The Magid in his time and then the Altarebbe in his time. And the Rabbeim that followed. So what are some of the revolutionary ideas? Well, as I said, revolutionary on one hand. On the other hand, you can say they're basic principles. So usually we associate the Baal Shem Tov to five main chidushim or five main, uh, uh, five main fundamental principles. One is the Ma'ilav HaNashamah. My love for the nesham, you see, many stories about the quality of a soul, which leads us to avosis ro, the unconditional love to every person because of their nesham. The next principle is the idea of his avos b'chodek, as the Alter Rebbe brings in the beginning of Shaiyachad Vamuna. Machadesh betuv b'chol yam tamed ma'ase breishes pidush barshemtiv lo el ma'ashem dvorchen nisab b'shamayim that God is constantly renewing creation every second. It says already in, Medish, still in beforehand, but Peter Sabashemtav, he either spread it or revealed it, or revealed dimensions that we weren't aware of before. The next is Ashgaha Pratis, everything's divine providence, even the leaf that turns over in the wind. And then finally there's the concept of that yet the thing that everything we see and hear is a lesson of Aidhas Hashem. There are many more things from the Baal Shem Tov, but those are things that are very classic teachings. They all exist beforehand, but the Baal Shem Tov shined the light. Now is the time. This is what we need to focus on. So again, the quality of a Neshama, Avis Yisrael, Savas B'chol Rega, Pratis, and everything is a lesson of Vedas Hashem. What about the Alter Rebbe? So besides the Alter Rebbe explaining these ideas, so the Alter Rebbe, we have of course Sefer Atanya. The idea of what a Bainani is, how to become a bainini, how everybody's capable of being a bainini, the how. Remember, the Baal Shem Tev taught that every person can serve. Al Tareb taught, la- taught us how to, he gave us the ladder. Al Tareb taught us how to climb the ladder. Like he says in the introduction to Tanya, Leviat hatev Eich, who karev elach dover made. That the whole Tanya is based on Musud on the person, karev elach adovr meid, befichl le a verse that we read in this week, in Parshat Nitzavim, but in the how? And the how is the whole process in Tanya, the process of Meir Shal talev self control is inherent to each one of us as a kiddush of the Altarev, inherent, the the profound love that everybody has naturally, the very fact that the Yesh Hagashmi, the Kiddush and Agares Ikei to Simen Chof that the yesh, the fact that we feel self-contained, that we feel that we don't have a cause, comes from asmus, mitsuyuse matzmuse, he's the only one that can create something like that. The whole chiddush of chassidus chabad, that we could take the etzem, and the etzem can be integrated into our system through understanding and through contemplation and through bringing it into our midas V'yaday tayyayim, yidas, and then then bring it to into the emotions using the physical world that everything in this physical world from the flesh we behold God the examples that he brings to understand that even the animal soul can appreciate and understand the divine and these are just touching the surface of a few items just because of the honor of Chayel again, chidushim on one hand tremendous chidushim Especially in the time in that we have now the capacity to teach these things. The Baal Tarebbe lived, as I said, over two centuries ago. And yet these ideas are more relevant today more than ever. Baal Shem lived a little longer than that. Going back, the way, as I said, his birthday was 325 years ago. And yet these teachings are more relevant today than ever. It just tells you the Kiddush in a way, that they did pioneer, opened up trailblazing, paths that give us today tools, I would not be giving this program, not have the language, the ability to communicate godly ideas in a language that everyone can understand, including the animal soul, or preparing us for the gu'ula. Okay. So let's talk about a few more items since we're already talking about chassidus. I think it's a good opportunity to address a few more points here. There's uh, another issue regarding Chayel, I'm talking about the difference or the, the commonality and the difference between the Baal Shem Tev and the Al Rebbe. In a very powerful sikha that the Rebbe spoke, it was Shabbos Pashas Kisove Chayel, Tov Shemem Zayin. In Tov Shemem Zayin. And I had discussed to prepare that sikha, and the Rebbe edited it very heavily. Very, very uh, fundamental, worthwhile learning in honor of Chayel. And there the Rebbe speaks the difference between the Baal Shem Tov and the Alter Rebbe. Um, of course, among all the things that they have in common, is one was more Mamayla Lamata, and one is Mamata Lamayla. So Anila Deidi, Mamata Lamayla, and Vedeidi Li, Mamayla Lamata. Baal known known, Noon, Baal Miracles, things that were lamaila from, uh, from sometimes the, the structure of nature as we know it. Al-Tarebbe was, everything was beslapshous, in Teva. In Teva you saw, in Teva itself, you saw the lakus as the Friedrich Rebbe writes in the Maimon and Tafresh Peihei. And they both come together. You need them both. Because the point is to have Gilea lakus, but in a way that's also integrated and internalized. So as I said, I suggest reading that Sikha. But in that context, the person wrote a question which I think fits right in. Chassidus teaches that there's an arousal from above which is when Hashem initiates inspiration, and there's an arousal from below when we when we initiate the inspiration. Otherwise known as asusad dil and Asusa tata My question is: are these the only two ways? Is there ever a time when an inspiration is initiated by us and Hashem at the same time? So in that siche, Kisavi, he talks about how the Bashamtav and the al come together means that you need to integrate the two. The mile of having inspiration from above. In a way, it's easier, and also you can get a higher revelation. On the other hand, the advantage of initiating yourself is that it's integrated. It may not be such a high revelation, but it's yours. <inaudible> a person desires one measure of, that he earns on his own, more than nine measures he receives as a gift. But a gift is still a gift, and you want to have both. So there's definitely situations where you do have both now who exactly begins i mean we all know sometimes you feel inspired sometimes inspiration has to be generated from within can they come together you could argue that even the inspiration comes from within is also god's gift you just don't feel in a revealed way but god is giving you the power to get inspired he gave you life he gives you consciousness and awareness so even though you get you're initiating but that itself, Miyag vashalom, the Medrash says, that also, you wouldn't, if you weren't alive, if you weren't given the gift of awareness and cognizance and so on, you may not come to that inspiration. So we have to always remember both come together. And even when it's coming from above, it's coming above to us. So that means there's also, maybe you didn't merit it this second, but maybe you did something the other day that Hashem decides to open up the door. So in broad terms, you could say yes, there's sometimes inspiration from above, sometimes from below. The Baal Tev, on one hand was from above, but it's still his work. And there was still a Veda that was done. The Al was, yes, from more Mamata but there was plenty of inspiration from above. The Altar gave keiches. And there were many things that were Mamayla Mata too. So we have to always remember that these two come hand in hand. And in this, is a big discussion. Because ultimately you want to have a Deir Betachtenin, which means totally integrated godliness within our lives. And for that you need to have pure godliness, but means it's internalized in so this is a constant dance if you wish, just like a teacher teaches a student so on one hand the teacher has to come down to the level of the student and spoon feed detail, but it's coming from a teacher as the student's containers expand, the mind expands the teacher gives more, then the student begins initiating begins asking questions, challenging and a good teacher-student experience is exactly the same way. This is all example of how it is, Lamaila that Hashem first created at Simpsum, where He concealed all the divine energy. And now He wants it to come from within. But He did send a kav, a kav achut, a, a ray of light that comes from before the Simpsum. That's Mamaila Lamata. But that kav is meant to give us the power to us to initiate from below. And it's a constant combination in general is by matan we were given god's blueprint god's mandate but that only came after 26 generations from creation because first we needed to make the effort the chinuch of the child to prepare ourselves to receive the taita and even matan taita then we need the gemara says my daughter my daughter put him Kim of the Yehudim confirmed and consummated the process because Matan Tehidah was still from the top down. Putin made it more from the bottom up. Beis Amigdash, Ba'ayis Nishim, Ba'ayis was a gili with some effort from below. And that also didn't bring Mashiach. So now we're in Golas, much more mamata Maila. So it's a constant dance, Tehidah and Tfila. Tefila is generally mamata from the bottom up. Sulamutzavartso, it's a ladder that stands on the ground and the top of the ladder reaches upward. taita as I said, is Amshach HaMail Lamat. But in taita also you have both. You have the taita that's given. taita shibiksav is like the gift. But Teda Shebapet requires Yigiyah, effort. In Tefillah too, yes, there's Bakosh there's HaSrachah, we ask and we initiate and we generate, but many things in Tefillah is also invoking and bringing psukim, in and uh, invoking things. We have both, in every area we have from the top down and from the bottom up. In general terms, Tishrei is from the bottom up. Nisan is from the top down. But each one of them has Bezkaulis, includes, encompasses the other dimension as well. That's why in Tishrei itself, you have Mamata but you also have Mamata l'mayla. The very Yom itself is giving us a gift from above. That there's a Rosh Hashanah, there's a Yom Kippur, there's Dir Shashem B'Yemotsi, Karua B'Yesu Karu V'Nasar Simei Sukkis, so it's always a combination of bringing from above, integrating, and then more from above. a constant combination because you want to have a total interface between the highest levels and the lowest levels. Just like a parent and a child, a healthy relationship, the parent at a younger age gives, but then you want the child to earn it. They want to initiate, to generate. As the Rebbe said in the beginning of his Nasius that doesn't decline from helping, but everyone has their peckle. And don't deceive yourself in thinking someone's going to do your job. is critical because then you own it. It's internalized, it's yours. And the whole point of this world, creating this world, is that godliness should become internalized in this world. Not just from above down. Not just imposed upon us. Not just given to us as a, a light that shines and overwhelms. On the contrary, but a light that is generated from within. So the language, asus le'ela, asus Tata, er yosher, er chayzer. You have many, many different expressions of this as you find throughout chassidus, And a lot of everything I'm saying here is straight from Bal Tev's and above all the Alter who elaborates on this extensively in his discourses. So with that, let's, a uh, few more items that are chassidus related. Someone asked this question. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, thank you for your ongoing My Life broadcasts. My question is a more general question about Chabad Hasidic philosophy, possibly more specifically the tenets expressed by the Alter Rebbe and Tanya. And briefly the question is, to Hasidus, should we be shunning the beauty of the natural world? And here is the more elaborate presentation. The way I've understood it, one isn't to take pleasure in the world and worldly matters, but rather one of two alternatives. Subdue the desire for worldly pleasure and abstain from the said pleasure. Or B, seek to elevate the material in the service of the divine. My question is the following. God created a beautiful world. And, there, and there's pleasure all around us. Whether the pleasure of looking at the beauty of nature, the pleasure of smelling a rose, the beauty of a painting, the aroma of a freshly baked bread, of freshly baked bread and so on. The list goes on. Hashem created such a beautiful world and it seems a sin not to enjoy the blessings we have and thanks and thank Him for them. Should we run away from enjoying a beautiful sunset? Should we shun the gifts and blessings of such a beautiful world? Can we not take pleasure in the gift of seeing a beautiful animal, tree or majestic skyscraper? If God blessed us with a good fortune of wealth, should we not eat the beautiful foods He made possible to have? Should we not seek to find a beautiful, devoted, and caring spouse, and thank him for allowing us to share our lives with loved ones? Should we not seek a beautiful home, and a beautiful house and home, and thank Hashem for His wonderful world and the opportunities He created? So, to just add to the equation, to the question, we know there's a mission in Pirkey Avos that someone just says, Zuna, This is a nice tree. It's considered uh, a crime. From Why? Because the question is, why Why are you focusing on the beauty? If it's and you're saying this is a beautiful tree, and there's times you make certain on a beautiful tree, or you partake from the fruit that you make a bracha, and you're honoring God, then you're recognizing the beauty is really an expression of God's beauty. What the mission is coming to Take care that we should not separate the yesh, the beauty, from the divine nature and the divine handiwork. It's God's art, then it's part of celebrating God's beautiful world. But it's easy sometimes to separate between the means and the end. There's a famous video where a former beauty queen from Israel came by the rabbi and she said who she was, then she asked for a brochure for a shidduch okay then I gave her then called her back and said when we say the end of hashal the end of from the end of mishlei where it says shekerah gein wehavel hayefi ishak yirsa Hashem, kim ishah yirsa Hashem hit tasalel shekerah gein forces grace and havel hayefi an empty folly vanity is beauty but what should you value? What should you praise? Aisha Yishay Hashem. So the Rebbe says, the meaning of the verse is, not that Yefi and Chein are worthless. On their own, if you see them only as externals, but if there's the Yiddish Hashem of the Isha, then the beauty is elevated. And that's what explains, of course, I'm adding now, the Rebbe didn't say this, that explains why we find that the Eimos, Yifas Yifas it says Shekera Chein, Hevel HaYefi. What's the quality of, of your fast man? Because the beauty is divine beauty, and you're seeing the divine within it. That's why you find the teres habalshemtiv, Satif, that the nefesh, when you're hungry and thirsty for something, is because the nefesh is thirsty and hungry, hungry and thirsty for the spark within it. So the point is is to transform the beauty of the world. What we need to be careful is because very often we worship the beauty as an end in itself. And we forget about the second half, the glove. And we forget about the hand inside the glove. That's the whole point of Chassidus. That devar Hashem, the al everything is the key. When the al is there, it doesn't... Chaz to destroy the world. The Tadus HaBashem Shemtev, Where he says... Ozef Taziviz, Ime Kisida Chamer Senacha. When you'll see that the body, the physical body interprets, is your enemy, so you may think you'll reject it. it says no, oziv tazevime. you should support, help it, harness it toward the good. It's the transforming of the world. Sometimes you need, step one, iskafya. You do need self-control, you do need self-mastery, you do need to subdue your own drives and inclinations and temptations. But then the goal is to harness those temptations toward gudusha like the Altar Rebbe explains in the Kutat Teda Chukas, that we want to eliminate the taiva, the object of the desire, but you want to have the Koyach HaMesava, the power of desire is you Dosi B'Harei Kedish. It's rooted in very high levels. You want to direct the power of desire towards the desire, towards the right things. So it's not eliminating desire. It's not eliminating beauty. It's the harnessing and directing it toward beautiful, toward Gdusha in holiness el or gold is a powerful thing gold is a valuable uh, precious metal but it's not an end in itself and definitely shouldn't be used for the opposite the whole reason you have gold is to use it for the base of and the same thing with technology and the same thing everything all the beauties of this world so the key thing is to remember that the ikid is the divine within it not the beauty per se so a beautiful sunset Hashem made it for a reason and they're actually things we're supposed to make a bracha when we see certain beauty. But remember, it's not the sunset. It's the sunset is teaching us what a divine harmony may look like when the sun is setting. Connecting it always to the lakusha b'zeh and above all to the aveda. Not just that it's a beautiful expression of the divine art, but also what's the aveda? It's by sunset, you learn something. What do I learn from it? What do I do? How does it inspire me? to be a better person, to do another mitzvah, to be kind, to give zdoket, and other things. So it's about the divine, but also bringing it into Pale action, not just as a nice meditation or a nice, beautiful uh, experience. Okay. So with that, I want to take this opportunity, something that is really close to my heart and very excited to share. Being at chayel and uh, the birthday of... The miyazdim of Chseiris Achsidis. So, as you may know, I've been teaching Hemshachayim Beis, the classic magnum opus called the Mount Everest, the longest and most elaborate and most comprehensive Hemshach of primis and primis in general that exists. In our printed pages, it, we're talking about pages four, four, over fourteen hundred pages, to be exact, fourteen hundred and 77 pages. And that's without footnotes, without the new editions. So, and even that, as someone asked the question, was Hemshech Bey's ever concluded? So I've been I'm teaching it over, over 10 years ago, by the centennial of Ayin Bey's it was tough Shin Ayin Bey's, essentially around, that, around 2012, it was this 100 years from 1912 when the Rebbe Rasha began delivering it Shavuos, began writing it earlier, and I'm pleased to say that now, after close to 12 years later, in the last 10 pages of the Hemshech. So, in volume three, 10 more pages to go, which can take some time. They'll go very slowly and in depth and so on. You're, always, you're welcome, obviously, to participate and enjoy this Hemshech. And uh, enjoy. When I say enjoy, I mean the Al-Lukushabazah and the every Every morning, every weekday morning, 9:30 a.m. New York time, and Sundays, 10 a.m go to chassidahsupply.com and you could see all the information. So it's live on Zoom and on YouTube. But it's recorded, I believe, since we recorded every one, I think there's 7,000 videos. 7,000 videos, meaning 7,000 classes that we've given on this, approximately. Um, maybe a bit, give or take. So as we're coming to the end of the Hemshech, it's known that this Hemshech that Eber gave out, we always had the first 100 pages in Kupir it was called, mimeograph all the years, but in Tavshin Lamed Zayin, the Rebbe announced that it's gonna be published, the whole Of So it was big news in Tavshin Lamed Zayin, it was the end of 1976, the of Tavshin Lamed Zayin, within a few months, by Yud it was was published. And ever since, Chesidim learning a Hemshech that was not available till till then. The Rebbe himself had it, as he shared with. And that itself was a dramatic piece, the Rebbe spoke why he didn't publish it till now, what was bothering him, he connected it to some type of danger. Still not so clear all the details, but clearly it was a momentous historical event. Um, as we're coming close now to the end learning it, so one of the bittersweet issues is that the Rebbe Rashab didn't finish the Hemshech. And we know this because there's some questions in the Hemshech Hayim Bey's that he doesn't answer. And it's very clear that uh, he's like left in middle. We know that the writing continued at least till 1918, because he refers to Maimonim from that year. So one of the intriguing things for me was, will we be able to figure out how much more would have been said? I mean, as much as one can speculate, you can never know that Rabbi Rashab could have gone another thousand pages or more. But based on the, the ideas as he's developed them, and will we be able to figure out or not? So one of the ways to look is to look for telltale signs and clues within the Hemshach itself, a few places that Rebbe Ashab refers to boy, that I, as I shall explain, with God's help in some places, some places he writes. And um, so you can see are things that are still going to be explained. And then of course, looking also the basis of Ayyem is built on my modim that were said earlier. So I'm glad to share with you. I think this is an unprecedented piece of news I don't know if anybody's ever uh, known this. And I'm not here to toot my horn or take credit, but something I do want to share with you that I've discovered that we can't figure it out because this end of the Hemshech, this this, this last section, is based on a mimer from the Alter Rebbe. Tovkuf The mimer is printed in Teir Eir Miketz, The mimer is called Mik HaShem HaLikenu, Le And there's a beard on the mimer in Teir Eir. And then there's a Mittler Rebbe's 70 page Maimer based on that Maimer that the Mittler Rebbe said, Tavkuf Pevov, Tovkuv Pe, vav, pe and that elaborates. And the Rebbe Rashab is quoting from both Maimarim and especially the Mittler Rebbe's Maimer. And when the Rebbe Rashab finishes, it's not, that's unfinished, then the Mittler Rebbe continues. Literally to the point that you can actually identify which sections. So the questions he asks that are not answered are all answered in the Mittler Rebbe's Maimer. Based on the Alter Rebbe's mind. so I plan to share the details of it, but I'll just say one thing in the cover Chayel. I think this is a tremendous uh, revelation because the Rebbe Rashab, firstly the Rebbe, everything's a zchachah If he didn't finish it, whatever whatever the reason was, but that you could also not just guess but actually identify the ideas, and the ideas essentially are he talks about neir mitzvah teira ed, er, neir Hashem nishma Sodom. Asks a bunch of questions around that, which are addressed in the Alter Rebbe's Meimim and the Mittler Rebbe's Meimim. But then the big question that he asks is, how, at the end of the day, can can you convince and educate and train and harness the animal soul to love God? Shnei Itzadecha means with both sides of the heart, the Yitzchadav, Yitzchadut. Nefesh HaLikis, Nefesh When the Nefesh is essentially completely self-consumed with its own needs. It's not, it doesn't have any bitl. So how are you going to teach it to love God? It's one thing to say, and I'm elaborating here. You want to subdue it, you want to control it, you want to, you want to uh, overwhelm it, silence it, like he speaks in Tanya. But how are you going to make it love God? Or in the words, as the al explains, Neir HaShem Nishma Sadam, that a Neir, the Shemen, is the intelligence of the animal soul that is harnessed and feeds and fuels the wick of the divine soul to create a divine light and divine love. How? So the Alta Rebbe says that's why we need Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekehno Hashem Lechod and Baruch Shank Ved Machus Leilanvad Yechud Yilan When a person contemplates, the divine soul contemplates on that divine unity, that leads to Vahafdis Hashem Lekeh, Bachalav Afrika Bishnei Tzerech. The Rebbe Rashab leaves this question and doesn't answer it in of Ayim But he goes 10 pages discussing this Yichud. And it's essentially based on the Mittler Rebbe's elaboration. But the Mittler Rebbe does continue. And it says that once the divine soul understands well the idea of the creation, that the creator is beyond creation, there's no shinui, there's no change, understands agdus, both divine unity within existence and divine unity beyond existence, in other words, lo, that can be explained to the animal soul. And that part, how can it be explained to the animal soul? The Rebbe Rashab does not conclude with, but the Mitla Rebbe does. The Mitla Rebbe's maimer is printed in My Mori Ad Muram Tzoyi, Breshis, page 361, as I said, 70 pages. The Alter Rebbe's maimer is in the in Torah, Mikates, Miketz, Chanukah, Lamed Ches, Bezanon, there's a Maimar and a beer, thirty-eight b, and then there's a beer on thirty-nine a, and you combine all that, and you'll have, no question, the Rebbe Rashab's basis. Now, how the Rebbe Rashab would have developed it and would have added to it and, and uh, edited it, that's already something that we can't guess, but we have the fa- basis, and I think that's a tremendous gilly, because it tells us that I am Beis, We have the conclusion of it based on these maimorim. So I shall discuss this more in my shiurim and as well here in this program. I just felt this being this something I literally discovered just a few days ago and really came to understand and appreciate I'm still learning it to try to understand all the nuances and details that it's something well worth sharing. Okay, so that's all the covered Chai El. With that, let us go now to some... Uh, this is also this week is the parsha of Nitzavim Vayelach as mentioned earlier. So let's talk briefly about that. What is the primary lesson from this week's portion? So briefly, Atam Nitzavim ayem Kolchem. So we know how Yem goes on Rosh Hashanah. Yem Adin, and Atam Nitzavim ayem Kolchem, Reshechem Shivtechem, all the way to Chet Veetzeha of Shev MeMecha. Shev Mecha is all the all the iden come together. Rosh Hashanah, everyone's standing before God. So that's the immediate connection. More detail, Nitzavim Nitzav Melach. Nitzav means to stand firmly like a king. Vayelach it means to move. So which one is it? Standing firmly or movement? Explains the Rebbe that they come together. And this is Rosh Hashanah. That on one hand we have strong foundations. On the other hand, a tree with deep roots also grows and moves. Strong foundation does not mean there's no movement. And tater, <clears throat> movement is critical. Life is always about movement. But you want a movement that's also grounded. So you have the nitzav, Nitzavim that grounds it in a solid way and you have the movement. Rosh Hashanah is meant to be a new year. New years, new possibilities, new movements, new halichas. But at the same time, you always have the Esod, the foundation, Rosh Hashanah. it says, recreates the world for a new the birthday of the human race. So we have the foundations in place, the Kabbalah sale, but also with the goal of creating a year of growth and movement and expansion and new possibilities. So that's a brief short lesson from the Sobh So one specific idea in the Parsha is how does the Parsha, what does the Parsha mean when it says very near to you, in your mouth, and your heart, so you can do it. Does this allude to various levels we try to accomplish things through thought, speech, and action? So, as mentioned, this is the foundation of Tanya, is built on this posse. And it's interesting, Ashrochah, Prat, is that Tanya, the altar, birthday, Chayel, it's always in the week of this week of Nitzavim. And the Alter Rebbe says that the whole safe is meyusid on the pasuk. To explain well, how it's karev. Now the word karev, as I've emphasized many times, means relevant. That it's relevant, close, not just physical proximity, relevant, personally relevant. That tera mitzvah, or tshuva, however you explain dover, but just let's talk to Yiddishkeit. Moshe is saying to the Eden. You may think it's sometimes elusive, inaccessible in heaven across a wide sea, the <speaking in Hebrew> distant. So I'm saying, no, It's very, it's relevant and very relevant. That's what Chassidus comes to teach. al Rebbe wrote a whole sefer to explain this pasuk. What's missing in the pasuk? Eich, <speaking in Hebrew> how to say the Yiddish kind teira is kodav, beautiful, but how? Like we said before, the Altar Rebbe teaches the how. How to make it karav. And that needs to know how these are tools and how these are instruments and these are resources. By understanding you have a neshama inside of you. And this neshama is something that is very essence of who you are. That makes it karavilla elecha, dover made, And b'ficha, l'vofcha l'aseseh, as he explains in Tanya, is taka machshava dibur amaysa, b'ficha is dibur, l'vofcha is machshava, and l'aseseh is action. Like he says in Tanya, that the, the main thing to be a bainini is self control in your maishrava dibra maishrava, in your thought, speech, and action. You can't always control your faculties. The fact that you have an animal soul is not in your control. But whether you're going to allow it to control your thought, speech, and action, that is in your control. <coughs> so that's a brief thought on this uh, parsha. And ha- apropos, as we finish the month of El and we prepare for Rosh Hashanah in these areas of cleaning up our act and thought, speech, and action as much as we can. And of course, as he explains in chapter 14 in Tanya, that we have to do whatever is possible to aspire even more than that, to also have a change of also feeling. But that is not completely in our control, as he explains there. Okay. So now let's cover a few things from year-end things that are questions that came in. Let's see how much more we can cover. There's plenty of questions. As always, please submit your questions. It's a good opportunity to mention. Chassidusapply.com is our website where you can um, ask anything. Nothing's taboo, nothing's off limits. It's completely anonymous. So, next question. Since we are concluding a hakel year, should we make one last stand during Elul to organize hakel gatherings. Another person writes to organize a big hakel gathering with music and dancing and inspirational words of Teir. And the answer is absolutely yes. The Rebbe makes it clear that even though hakel was an event that happened in but the whole year is called Shnas Hakel. And therefore the whole year should be used as opportunities to do what? noshim bataf, to gather together men, women, and children in the proper halachic way, proper mechitzas and so on, to do what? to add in learning teda and doing mitzvahs as the melech would read. Say, say this, a unity coming together to connect more and more connection to Hashem and to teda and mitzvahs. So as we're still in the year hakel, it's an opportune time. And of course, to use that every last minute, whether it's big hakkel gatherings or small, or we don't necessarily count by numbers, it's quality more than quantity, or sometimes quantity, Hakil is also quantity. By all means, anything we can still do, whether it's with your family, with your community, on a larger scale, should absolutely be done. So I don't have much to add to that, but it's a good thank you for reminding, and it's a good thing to remind us all. It's one of the things we should be definitely trying to do in the next last few days. Wherever you can hakel can be done in an office, it could be done in any type of community setting, it could be done in a school, and it has a power, the power of the synergy of hakel. <clears throat> Okay, another uh, question is, can we accuse Hashem of procrastination for waiting so long to send Mashiach? Well, let's read the second half of the question as well. Is perhaps the blowing of Shefer not just to inspire our souls to get ready for the new year, but maybe it's also to wake up Hashem to remind him to keep his promise and send Mashiach? Or as another person wrote it, is the Shefer sounding also a wake-up call for Hashem? Well, based on the... That says, that the just says, whatever he commands us to do, he also does. He does the mitzvahs that he tells us to do. So, Kavyachal, Shefer who is a wake up call to us, it's also a wake up call to the Maila. You'll say, God needs a wake up call. Chaz Rashalom, of course not. But still, you have the concept of B'lai Lahu Noddash and Chzidis and Amelach is also Malchishla. There are times of is compared to Shina, asleep, where divine energy may be somewhat in a comatose state. And Rosh Hashanah is actually a time where it gets reawakened and renewed through our Ayurveda, where we wake up. So you can say, Shefer also has that effect. Not Chach the God. It says, LaHini LaYonim VeLaYushan V'Layushin Yisro. does not slumber, does not sleep. But still, in the Giluim level, on revelations, we could always use more giluim, more wake up, more awareness. And we did. You saw the Rebbe crying out, and Sadiqim crying out to Hashem, Well Hashem didn't know we needed gollus and gula. And enter gollus. So why do we need to yell, because there's something that when we yell, it reaches, pierces the heavens. And it adds to it all. And it actually speeds it up. So there's no question that Shafer I'm sure, does that as well. Another person asked this question. Are there situations where God, for whatever reason, answers our prayers only at the last possible moment? So here's how it's written out in detail. Are there situations where Hashem, for whatever reason, doesn't want to answer someone's davening, but does so begrudgingly and postpones it until the last possible moment? So in that case, if someone davened for something positive on Rosh Hashanah, Hashem would begrudgingly give it, but make him wait until the last week of the following el. Should I buy a lottery ticket during the last week of el? Okay, let's break this down into a few parts. First of all, I would eliminate the word begrudgingly. There's no begrudging, if the Ibishtah answers, he answers, doesn't answer, he doesn't answer, or I would say he always answers. The question is what, what form that answer takes. So the word begrudging doesn't belong here. The question is when? Look, we want it to be quick, Ad meheiru yorev quickly. Biches keinim helps speed up the process, expedite it. We want it to be revealed. That's what we want. Hashem has his plans and his ideas. Sometimes it's we're the block. Maybe the blessings are coming and they're ready to come quickly and we have to make more of a keli for it. So I'm not here to, we're not here to point fingers. So I think instead of trying to analyze when Hashem answers, we have to do our part and ask as well that Hashem should expedite the process and not wait. Can he wait? Anything is possible, but Hashem has his plans and when he wants things. But we always have the right to ask that it should be quicker. Like the shkedim, it should grow quicker, it should result quicker. And the more zirizis we have, the more speed and alacrity we have, that in turn also creates above that Hashem should do it quicker. So that's the brief answer. To sit here and try to analyze when Hashem does things and why and so on, that's not in our domain. We have to do our part and yes, try to have it as done as quickly as possible. And that's our bracha that we say it should be quick and we shouldn't have to wait till any last minute. Should you buy a lottery ticket during the last week of El? <clears throat> Make any keli you like for brachas. If that's a keli that works for you, go for it. <clears throat> I don't know, if, you know, we can't guess, guess exactly what the keli is and, and what form of fashion, but we should use that every second of El to the fullest. Based on the muscle of Melech Basada, the king is in the field waiting. He's waiting for you, waiting for me, for us, to ask him any request. You don't need more than that. That's not even a matter of last minute. The month of El has that quality. You could ask for anything and God will grant it you with a smile and quickly. So that's how we have to look at it. Okay. Let us see, is there more about the end of the year? Next week, we will have a program that will be a pre-Rosh Hashanah program, so I'll address that. Let me cover some other questions, some follow-up. Let's see how much we can do here. So in a way, this is a follow-up, something we learned about, we spoke about further, I should say, about the beauty of the world. So this takes on a little different shape, but it's a personal question I felt appropriate. You know, you could say this a little viewer discretion advised, Not because there's anything very explicit, but it's more of adult material. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, what should I tell my daughter when she argues against Tzinius, saying that we shouldn't be hiding the beautiful body Hashem created? Dear Rabbi Jacobson, my teenage daughter recently posed for a series of inappropriate photos that were posted online. When I confronted her and said the Torah prohibits this, she replied, if God created the human body, And if there's something wrong with the human body, then the fault lies with the manufacturer. How should I reply to this this in a productive manner without pushing her away further? So the answer is, yes, God created much beauty in this world. Many beautiful things. But also God created another beautiful thing, and that is he gave us discretion. He gave us intelligence. And he wants us to be a partner with him. And partnership also means how to use the resources and the beauty of our lives. They think the most beautiful things in life create life, intimacy. And yet, I think most people understand that intimacy has to be done, not secret, in private. Not because there's something to be ashamed of. Not because it isn't beautiful, as the Ramban in his famous letter says. But because it's like the Holy of Holies. In a world that is impure, and a world that does not always appreciate true, pristine, holy beauty, the Kedish Kedoshim has to be covered. You don't enter it every moment, you respect it. So, on the contrary, because the human body is so beautiful and created in the divine image, and because it has so much power, that's why we need to respect the dignity. It's not just photos you post. Sineas is not just about covering up, Sineas is modesty, is dignity. Even how you take a shower, even how you get dressed. It's being kfud de bas pnima. The dignity of a queen. A person carries themselves with dignity. So I would explain what dignity means. So dignity is not being ashamed of your body. Dignity is having the wisdom and understanding that you're a king, you're a queen. Behave like one. And I think if you say it in empowering ways, in positive ways, like we said before, Isha Yiddish Hashem Hittisadol, and then Yefi and Chein are part of the process. So on the contrary, because the, the human being is created in the divine image, that's why you have to value it and treat it with dignity. That would be the way I would approach this, uh, this issue. Obviously, there could be more going on here that meets the eye, and that's why you have to be extra sensitive. I don't think it's just, your daughter's just posting for, it's either to get attention or whatever is going on in her life, and I think that needs to be looked at. But I'm talking now responding to the very question there's many ways to respond to it and the response has to be with beauty because with a beautiful way because you do want to uphold the beauty. You don't want to knock the beauty. You, want, you don't want to say no, it's, it's ugly or it's provocative or it's disgusting. That's not what you want to co- convey. You want to convey, as I just said, Selim Alekim is the most beautiful thing. And Hashem created that children are born without clothing. There's beauty. But this beauty has with discretion. You still wrap the child up. Why? Not just to keep it warm. Because there are things that are the most beautiful things. Sometimes need, I will say the word protection, dignity. They need to be respected. They're not just out there. Just like when somebody shares with you a confidence, you don't just say, "Okay, you shared with me those beautiful confidence. I'll tell everyone." No, part of that is is discretion, is being discreet, is being respectful, being 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 uh, integrity. And some things have to. Some things shared with you privately is sacred. The sanctity of it is what should be focused on. Okay. Another question. Question. I'm unrelated, but let's already address it. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, how to resolve a disagreement between spouses, whether to hang a picture of a historic secular activist near the picture of the Rebbe? Okay. We cover all, all questions. Here's the question. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, please help me settle a disagreement with my husband. He hung a photo of John Brown in our dining room next to the photo to photos of the Rebbe. John Brown was a farmer from upstate New York who was an abol- abolitionist against slavery. And in the 19- 1850s, he led a militia to fight against slave owners and traders in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia, and his actions freed many slaves, but ultimately he was arrested and hung for treason. I would have no problem with my husband hanging a photo of John Brown in his office or other parts of the house. I just don't think it belongs hung next to the photos of the Rebbe because even though John Brown did heroic acts, he shouldn't be equated with the Rebbe Holy Tzaddik. My husband says he wants a photo in the dining room so when when we have Shabbos guests, they can ask who that photo is and he can inspire dialogue among people about people being moesha nefesh to fight injustices. I told my husband if he hangs the photo in his office, instead he can still inspire dialogue if during the meal he asked the guests if they know who John Brown was, and then they discuss it. So how can my husband and I resolve our different opinions? Thank you. So, as usual, and I'm sure you can assume, whenever I hear this, I always say to myself, okay, do you have any other disagreements? What else is going on? Is this the only issue between you and your spouse? Um, Let's assume it is. That would be beautiful to hear, and that's one way to respond. However, sometimes you find out that there may be other factors as well, and sometimes the insistence that your husband has, or your insistence may be reflective of other issues that are not purely about John Brown, per se. So I want to just point that out as a disclaimer. But regarding the very issue itself, and usually in these type of things, it's best that your husband and you speak to a third party together, someone you trust, because it shouldn't be you versus him. I think you're both partners in life. And partners have to work things out together. I can give you my opinion, but I don't want it to be used that you go back and say, Rabbi Jacobson said so-and-so. That's my concern a bit. But I, it will state my opinion regardless. I just want to make that very clear. And I hope that if you do share what I'm going to say with your husband, share it in the context the way I just am sharing it right now. So overall, I would probably, if I was advising both of you and you both were pretty strong and adamant, I would say, yeah, I agree. It doesn't have to be right near the Rebbe's pictures. For obviously, it could be a matter of taste. Yeah, I, you, know, I, you want to put it on another wall? You want to put it in a different place? You know, I, I'm not sure why he's insistent, Don, John Brown. Is he the only activist? I mean, there are people who saved Jews in the Holocaust. There are people who not. I'm not taking away from John Brown's uh, heroism. But why, why him, of all people? So I'm, I'm, you know, the Rebbe is a person in your life, in both your lives, and something we all understand, it's like having a picture of your grandfather, where they put a picture of my grandfather, every activist out there. So I think I agree with you that there's very different messages here. Um, The idea of having a picture, if he wants to have a picture, in his, so that's how I would do it. In In a house where you both share the same walls, you share the same domain, I think you should respect each other, just as if... I would tell you the same thing. if you insisted on putting on a picture and your husband said, why don't you put it in your office?" So I do agree that something that you both don't agree should not be so prominent. And if, as far as guests go, you could have, you could have it somewhere if you want, if you want to Africa a picture. I mean, I would want to hear your husband's strong argument for it, which I haven't heard. so that's why I'm qualifying what I'm saying, but that would be my general just an approach to it. I would validate what, he's, what he wants to achieve and figure out a way that works. But I agree, it's not the, you know, certain things, like, you know, on Yom Kippur, for example, you're honoring Yom Kippur. You don't bring in honoring something else as valuable as it may be. It's a holy day. You know, the Rebbe is a holy man, a tzaddik. It's one thing. Just like, as I said, even if a family member, if I put a picture of my family, and suddenly somebody wants to put another picture of a hero, I'd say it doesn't belong here. It's not in this series. It belongs in a different section. So that's how I would approach this. And always in the name of shalom and a name of in, in, out of love and should always be done in a beautiful, kind way, not as a battle or a war in any, poss- in, 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 any, in any way. Okay. Now, there are more questions. I want to just do one follow-up with the limited time we have. I discussed last week the question if somebody missed filling due to illness. And I had said, I extrapolated from a story with Kashus and other situations, with Rebbe advised to double your efforts and diligence as well as influence another. And I said, if anybody has anything else from the Rebbe on this, please share. And someone did. Thank you. So he shared about someone. The Rebbe writes to someone, the Kasve mu'ura, the Anochist film, he's writing to someone who missed putting on film. Yes, la'aseis, Asai's I'll just translate it. The Rebbe is giving his advice like this He should become a boki, an expert. Bahiny Drushe dach be inyant fillen. He should become an expert in the in Khsidis that talks about the inyun of fillen. And he gives the mimorim. Das Simonik Chesim Ubi Yurekut Shirashidim. So there's a mimic Simonik Chesim, he talks about fillen, Bisharat Filon She Basidr. In the Sharat film, the, gate, the section on Tfilin, in Sidrim Dach, that's the Sidr of the Mittler Rebbe, where he gathers together all the Maimorim of the Altar Rebbe on Tfilah. Um Tfilin, the Sefer Derech Mitzvah Secha. So three places he gives us. He says, to become a Boki, in the Maimorich Sidr, about film, the Maimah Simonikah Chesem, and it's explanation in Shirah, Shirim L'Qut Teter, Shara Tfilin in Sidr, and Mitzvah film in Derach Mitzvah Secha. Okay, excellent. So not much to add. That's a a a directive from the Rebbe. Let us see if there's anything more. Well, I have more questions to address, but for now, we're going to conclude with this. So being that it's the month of El, we have 12 days left, countdown. Yem l'Chadosh, every day corresponds to a month of the 12 months of the year. The month of others, if there's two others, so it's all included in that one day. May we all make the proper Chazbin and Nefesh, besimche, levav, with joy and preparation for the new year. Everyone should be blessed with Aksiv Aksimateva. Next week we will do a class pre Rosh Hashanah, pre all the holidays, because all the holidays this year are Sundays. So this will be the last class, but till the next year for four weeks, we'll talk about that next week. Aksiv you know, Aksimateva. A very Lebedic chayel may it infuse Highest vitality and energy and dynamic energy in everything that we do. And may we zeichet to the Gula Amittis through the activities of Yefutsu Maina of Chayel, it should be even before Chayel and definitely Chayel and definitely march into Rosh Hashanah with Mashiach Kainu. Thank you so much. This has been My Life, Chassidus Applied. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Be well. This program is brought to you by My Life. Hasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at hasidusapplied.com slash donate.